from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. I hope you had a great weekend. Well, coming up. This is all about the, the absolute horrible uh, position that people are in now because of the uh, inflation cost whether it be gasoline, whether it be food pricing, whether it be energy pricing. And it's around energy mostly it's driving these high inflation. This is going to do take care of that. That was West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin on CBS's Face the Nation yesterday, saying the Democrats' new version of Build Back Better will lower inflation as it increases taxes and spending. Does that sound economics or is that more of the Washington, D.C. economics that got us into this mess? We'll talk with Maryland Congressman Dr. Andy Harris, a member of the House Appropriations Committee, in just a moment. Also, a big primary day tomorrow in five states. Plus, voters in Kansas will cast the first votes on a constitutional amendment dealing with the life issue post-Dobbs. We'll get all the details from FRC Action Vice President Brent Kylan a little later here on Washington Watch. And the Chinese Communist Party is amping up their rhetoric over the anticipated visit to Taiwan by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The Chinese People's Liberation Army will not sit back. China will take resolute and strong countermeasures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. That was Zhao Lijong, Deputy Director of the Foreign Ministry Information Department of China. And I hate to put all that on one business card. Also yesterday, Russian President Vladimir Putin at Russia's Navy Day Parade intensifying his rhetoric toward the U.S. We need to rely on our capabilities and anyone who'd like to endanger our sovereignty will get a strong response. Are China and Russia coordinating their efforts to exploit a weak U.S. administration? We'll talk with FRC's executive vice president and retired three-star general, General Jerry Boykin, a little later here on Washington Watch. You won't want to miss that conversation. And finally, the search and rescue continues in eastern Kentucky as historic floodwaters have swept through communities on the Kentucky River, taking the lives of over two dozen people. Certainly the deadliest and the most devastating of my lifetime. Still in the emergency response mode, still doing search and rescue. And as we'll talk here in a minute, weather today may complicate that. That was Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir earlier today. Samaritan's Purse is already on the ground helping. Uh, we'll get an update from Luther Harrison, Vice President of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is Psalm 8410. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, it's not the volume of life, but the content of it that matters. What satisfaction is there in a long life lived aimlessly? The psalmist made clear living in the presence of God is where true life is found. To join us in our journey through the Bible, you can visit frc.org slash Bible. You can also join me each morning, Monday through Friday, at 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time on Facebook or at TonyPerkins.com for a short devotional based upon the daily Bible reading plan. Okay, it will be here before you know it, and it is filling up quickly. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Pray, Vote, Stand for Life. It'll be held at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, September the 14th through the 16th. To register and to find out more about the event, go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. That's prayvotestand.org slash summit. By the way, we'll be having a special Pray Vote Stand broadcast tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as well. So join us for that. All right, Senator Joe Manchin, excuse me, shocked Washington last week when he reached an agreement with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer for what they're now calling the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. The legislation appears to include roughly $790 billion of offsets to fund roughly $485 billion of new spending and green energy tax breaks. 
with Senator Manchin on board, all eyes now are shifting to his fellow Democrat, Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema, for which way she is leaning regarding the bill. Joining me now to discuss how this bill will affect average taxpayers in light of the skyrocketing inflation we've all experienced under the Biden administration's policy is Congressman Andy Harris. He represents Maryland's first congressional district. He's a member of the House Appropriations Committee and co-chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus and a member of the GOP Doctors Caucus. Dr. Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always good to see you. Good to be with you, Tony. All right. I know I, I, I always get a kick out of the deceptive titles that are used for measures. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Apparently, Build Back Better had been uh, become toxic. And so now they've come up with this new title, which... It just is a pared-down version of Build Back Better, as I understand it. Uh, that's right. Tony, it's completely Orwellian to call this, to somehow suggest that this is going to do anything except accelerate inflation is completely Orwellian. Anytime you increase taxes like this, anytime you increase government spending like this, you're going to increase inflation. So as I've read and I'm, I'm reading the congressional uh, analysis of the bill, we're we're talking about uh, just uh, around 739 billion is the revenue raised. We're talking about corporate minimum taxes, uh, 15% uh, prescription drug pricing reform. And as a physician, so w- what does that mean? How are they saving money on on this prescription uh, pricing, allowing uh, Medicaid to go out, to Medicare to go out and uh, negotiate prices? How, where, where's that savings going to be found? Well, I don't think there are going to be any. I think this is all smoke and mirrors. You know, the assumption is, is that uh, no one will change any behavior, you know, once you pass this law. But what it does, it takes a very small number of drugs. It controls their price fairly late in the life of the use of those drugs. So the the drug companies are just going to do what any rational person would do. They're just going to charge more up front in the first few years to make up for the price control, the price fixing that the government is going to implement in the last few years. So, again, it's it's savings on paper. I don't think it ever materializes. Does that have an impact, uh, Dr. Harris, on research for new drugs? If you if you're taking away the profit incentive to the private sector, what does that do for these drug manufacturing firms? Sure, it certainly could. I mean, that's the other that's the other uh, effect that it may have. Uh, the drug companies could choose to charge more in the first few years, but they could also just cut back on research and development. And I think that that would be terrible. I think Americans realize that the the, this, the new categories, specifically of anti-cancer drugs, are fairly expensive to research and develop, uh, but they're life saving. And uh, again, we have to decide: is it worth it? Uh, or do we think that, uh, again, when government begins to control the price, it will control supply, it will control, again, it will it will make research and development much more difficult to fund. And I think Americans' health will suffer in the end. I think this is just poorly thought out. One other aspect that I've highlighted that I'm trying to figure out, because there's not a lot of definition, and you may have a better handle on this, is they're, they're proposing they're going to raise $124 billion through IRS tax enforcement. Has the IRS not been uh, collecting taxes? I mean, wh- what are they going to do differently to come up with $124 billion? Well, I will tell you, the IRS has been terrible in the past few years. As you know, a lot of IRS uh, agents don't even, don't even work at the office and, uh, still. Uh, it's one of the number one complaints we get now. It used to be veterans' complaints and now IRS complaints. Uh, so what they're going to do is they're going to spend billions of dollars and hope that uh, that through tax enforcement they can collect 124 billion. Again, one would assume that that would have been done already. So this is right. another example of smoke and mirrors. This is these are made up numbers. This is just a, an opportunity for the government to spend more. That's it. Now the one other aspect of it is 300 billion in this is to go to deficit reduction, but. Are we talking about an elevated amount of expenditures, revenue expenditures? So, I mean, this is we're raising more money to spend less, but we're spending more. So I I just don't I don't see how this all adds up. Maybe you just don't spend the money and then you can reduce the deficit. That's one way, Tony. I guarantee you one thing. And again, look, the revenue, the uh, the deficit reduction is the 
supposed, again, the smoke and mirror revenues, $729 billion versus the spending, which is, you know, $300 billion ch- and change. Uh, but I will guarantee you one thing, Tony, that spending will occur. That tax revenue may never come in. So I think that, that again, the deficit reduction is, is pie-in-the-sky hope. But what this does, it will definitely increase spending by well over $300 billion. That's what got us into this inflationary problem now. Right. That it, this right. will just make it worse. Now, the Wharton uh, School of Business, the Wharton budget model, uh, University of Pennsylvania's Wharton budget model suggests that uh, this, based on what they see, it will have almost zero impact. It actually raise inflationary costs for the first four years, and then it will be, uh, again, a very small but insignificant amount, basically zero. So it doesn't do anything to, according to them, uh, really to reduce inflation. So it's only increasing government spending. So how is this going to ha- I mean, this is one of the things that the White House has been talking about, and in, in even Senator Manchin, who I have a lot of respect for. I know him. He's, he, I would consider him a, not a friend but an acquaintance. Um, how is this going to help American families? Well, Tony, it won't. I mean, as the Wharton analysis suggests, in the first few years, it actually increases inflation because it increases government spending. The bottom line is that I don't trust the out years. You know, I've seen this enough in Washington. You know, they make a 10-year projection. What happens in the first few years happens. What happens in the out years doesn't happen. So I think Wharton got it right. In the short run, this will increase inflationary pressure. That's the last thing we need right now in the United States. You know, you bring up a really good point, Andy, that, you know, you do things on these 10-year models, and it never happens. You you get the first couple of years, that's where people spend the money, but the savings never comes in because they change policies before we get to it, and they add more spending to it. That's absolutely right, and that's why in this case, again, I think that that there is no question this is going to increase inflationary pressure. I hope that Senator Sinema sees through this. I, I think uh, Joe Manchin got hoodwinked. I hope she doesn't. And I hope she realizes that increasing taxes right now is the wrong thing to do. As you know, Tony, taxes uh, paid by corporations are merely passed on to, to co- consumers, right. to customers. Right. Uh, that will make inflation worse in and of itself. And it will dra- it's a drag on the economy that we don't need right now. And it's targeted on energy. I mean, we're, we're looking at tax on oil companies, a tax on, uh, on gas, uh, natural gas, and so that's only going to drive up the cost for the American consumer. I mean, we, we do have uh, kind of a spread of uh, COVID that's going through the Senate, so maybe they won't be able to gather 50 to vote on this uh, before they break for August. Well, look, I, I, I hope this, this never comes out of the Senate, because if it does, it'll be rubber stamped by Nancy Pelosi in the House. Uh, and again, this is not the time to spend hundreds of billions of dollars and to raise taxes. It's just a very bad idea. I, I think you're absolutely right. Now is not the time. Of course, I don't think any time is a good time to raise taxes. Dr. Andy Harris, always great to see you. Thanks for stopping by on this Monday. Thank you, Tony. And, folks, we're going to look at this even more tomorrow. Senator uh, Steve Dane is going to be joining us. We're going to look at the uh, the green component here and, and what it's going to cost you as they give these tax uh, subsidies to green energy, and you're going to have to pay more at the pump. Not a good idea. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But coming up next, big primaries tomorrow. We're going to talk about it with Brent Kylan. Don't go away. More Washington Watch right on the other side of this break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible.
First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right, a couple of items uh, before I bring in my next guest. Uh, The marriage issue, this uh, effort by the Senate to codify the court's redefinition of marriage, which will just launch a an intense attack on religious freedom in this country. Not like we've not already seen it, but this will basically, in the minds of some, give legitimacy to their attack on people who hold to a biblical worldview of marriage. Now, it's been uh, pushed off until probably September, a vote on this, because of the reconciliation bill that we just talked about that's going to eat up most of the time in the Senate this week. However, your senators still need to hear from you. And you go to uh, TonyPerkins.com under Episode Resources. There's a link where you can contact your senators. And uh, I certainly would encourage, especially those that are in uh, running for re-election, they're going to be out during the month of August. You might see them. Uh, you might uh, have an opportunity to ask them a question. This would certainly be one. Uh, senators are most uh, accessible when they're running for re-election. And this would be a great time to talk to them about that. And then, once again... Pray Vote Stand Summit coming up September the 14th through the 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. Pray Vote Stand for Life. You can find out more by going to prayvotestand.org slash summit. All right, this is a major week in uh, the lead-up to the 2022 midterm elections with primaries scheduled in six states. Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Washington State are tomorrow. That's five tomorrow, and then Tennessee holds its election on Thursday. There's much to follow, which is why Family Research Council and FRC Action offer tools and resources for you to remain fully engaged throughout this primary season. And uh, you can find those at FRC Action under Voter Resources. And you pull down the link, and we actually uh, scroll. You have a pull down the menu, and we have voter guides there available. Joining me now to, uh, to talk about this and more is Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you again. All right. Uh, what resources are available for folks at FRC Action? I mentioned the voter guide. What else can they find there? You know, uh, Tony, the voter guide is the big one, covers all of the uh, the, the GOP federal primaries, also the, the GOP primaries in 35 states and some select school boards. So we do go down the ballot where we can. But also what you can find there is information on voter registration. Uh, lots of folks, I mean, uh, there are millions of people across the country that are still not even registered to vote. So find information there on that. And then also um, we, we point a lot to our party platform 
platform comparison? What are those principles that the the, the parties uh, have said that they stand for? Specifically, important to be aware of that as you're evaluating candidates. And you can find a, both a, a document that compares them, uh, a one-pager, as well as a video that kind of breaks it down on some key issues there. All right, and that's at frcaction.org under voter resources. So, Brent, uh, voters in uh, some of these key states tomorrow when they uh, head to the polls in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Washington State, what's going to be on the ballot for them? And are there any key races you're following? Tony, there are some key races. I'll, I'll start with the uh, the federal races. The U.S. Senate is just going to be so key this year. There's so much policy-wise riding on the outcome of that. You know, as you know, it's a it's a 50-50 U.S. Senate race. So just lots of resources, lots of time, lots of money uh, going into uh, trying to flip the Senate one way or the other. So that's going to be be very very key. A couple critical. Uh, important U.S. Senate races on the ballot tomorrow. One is in Arizona. Arizona is uh, is a swing state. I think the Arizona U.S. Senate race is going to be one of those really key swing races that, that we're watching all the way up through November. Their primary is tomorrow. So uh, the um, the incumbent is Democrat Mark Kelly. Uh, his scores on the FRC scorecard are very low, uh, but we'll see who's going to uh, be his primary challenger for the fall. Also, Missouri has a key U.S. Senate race there, U.S. Senate primary. Important to have a good uh, a good solid candidate there. Uh, watching some U.S. House races, Tony, you mentioned the important um, marriage and religious liberty vote that happened a couple of weeks ago in the U.S. House. There are 47 Republicans that voted uh, for that, unfortunately, and a few of those House Republicans are on the ballot tomorrow and also have credible primary challengers. And I think that even that vote is starting to become an issue there. So it's going to be um, key to watch that. As it should. Absolutely. It's important for, uh, you know, for voters to be aware of that and to be holding their members accountable, you know, for what they do in in Washington, D.C. Some state races that are very important. By by the way, by the way, Brent, let me just stop you there for a moment, because there are there there are a couple of those that are on the ballot tomorrow. I think one in uh, Michigan and then uh, one in uh, Wyoming, I think. And. These are important because, folks, if you're in those states, you need to go and vote. You need to vote your values. If there's a good, strong conservative candidate, even if it's not the incumbent, uh, but they line up with your values. The primary the primary is where you cast your vote for the best candidate, regardless of what you think the outcome is going to be. When you get to the general election, you got a choice between you know, one that's bad and one that's not as bad. That's where you've got to kind of, you know, begin to make some hard choices but in a in a primary vote for the best candidate and in this case it sends a message over to the senate when we're talking about this marriage issue sorry about that brent go right ahead that's right, Tony. It's so important. And I was also going to mention the state races uh, with the uh, Supreme Court ruling and overturning Roe v. Wade and so much of that fight now going to the states. These state races are even more critical. Governors, attorneys general, uh, state houses, state senates. We've got a bunch of those on the ballot tomorrow. Um, a few of the key ones uh, in Michigan, we have the, the, the GOP primary, both primaries, but the, the GOP primary will decide who will take on Gretchen Whitmer, who has become a very vocal advocate for uh, elective abortion uh, for any reason through all nine months. Uh, we have the, the governor's race in Kansas, which has a, a, a pro-life conservative uh, state legislature, but a Democrat governor, which is important. And also the, uh, the governor race in Arizona is open. So we'll see that primary tomorrow. And then, Tony, we have the uh, the ballot measure in Kansas, which is really right. important. The the value them both, and I know a lot of the uh, the viewers and listeners aren't from Kansas, and it's kind of you know easy to say you know that doesn't affect me as much, but but this is big because this is the first time post Roe v. Wade where this issue explicitly is going to be voted on at the ballot box, the right. life right. issue, and uh, so Tony, that'll be really big. Uh, Polling we saw there is showing the pro-life side up by four points, hey, but hey Brent, that's still close. We're up, it's clo- we're up against a break, so it's close, uh, folks. If you're in Kansas, vote for it. Stick with us. We're coming back with more after this.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. And by the way, if you're in Kansas tomorrow, that ballot initiatives there, that uh, constitutional amendment, value them both. I would encourage you to uh, to go and vote for that. That allows the elected representatives of the state to deal with the sanctity of life issue. Uh, right now, it's in the hands of the court. In fact, I'll be doing a teletown hall tonight uh, in Kansas. So if you get a call from me, join that uh, teletown hall. Okay, the death toll from the devastating flooding in eastern Kentucky continues to rise as search and rescue teams look for those stranded and missing. You know, heartbreaking stories have emerged of children and families lost, and the prayers of everyone here at Washington watching the Family Research Council go out to those who are impacted. I know exactly kind of what uh, they are going through right now, and I'm uh, thankful that we have friends on the ground helping them such as Samaritan's Purse, and joining me now to discuss the work that Samaritan's Purse is doing there on the ground, uh, supporting and showing compassion and the love of Jesus to those affected by these uh, tragic uh, floods, is Luther Harrison, Vice President of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Luther, welcome back to the program. Tony, thank you for having us. Um, This is a heartbreaking situation, especially in Kentucky. Uh, we just left Breathitt County two weeks ago from the March 21 floods that, uh, uh, again, damaged a lot of areas there. But now this flood is even greater than the one a year ago. Uh, the church we housed in last year, they received eight feet of water in this building this time. And uh, we have 20 chaplains on the ground up there. We have 13 of our staff ready to uh, receive the volunteers to help muck out these homes. But do it with a, a Christ-like uh, love and compassion, Lord, to, to just the Lord gives us the words to say to families, uh, this one family that lost four of their children. I mean, it's yeah. heartbreaking, but any family that's going through this grief, uh, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to go in and share with them what uh, get the muck and the mire out, but encourage them, pray for them, and show them that uh, God is with them every step of the way. Yeah, I think in, in situations like this where the flooding is devastating when you lose the buildings and the property, but when you you have such a significant loss of life in these small communities, that only makes this tragedy all the worse. And that's why the ministry is so important with the chaplains on the ground there ministering to the deepest needs that these individuals have. Now, uh, Luther, I'm, I'm assuming that this thing came up so quickly that a lot of people were not able to seek uh, higher ground and escape these floodwaters. 
They weren't, as uh, most people know, many, many of these haulers, as you call it, uh, the roads are narrow and the water can come up very quickly. Uh, we saw some of the homes that we had worked on earlier, it, one house we'd elevated 12 feet and the water was right at the bottom of that home. So that shows how high the water had risen. And um, one of our chaplains went to one of the families that lost uh, some loved ones and they were sitting on four cinder blocks and that was the only thing left after losing their family members, their home, their vehicle, and all their possessions. And just for the chaplain to be able to help them as they're going through grief and trying to figure out what do I do next? This is where we can come alongside of them, hold their arms up, love on them, and show them that um, we can help them get through this uh, deep, dark valley they're going through. And Luther, this area of eastern Kentucky is an area that is already kind of plagued with poverty. I mean, there's not a lot of resources there. And so these families, uh, I mean, this is going to hit that community extremely hard. It will. We are set up in two locations, one in uh, Breathitt County again, uh, just like the parable of the Samaritan. They got hit again. We're going back. And then in Floyd County. And uh, Floyd County, we've been up there uh, years ago. We had a quality kids program where uh, it was a hygiene-based program in that area of uh, Betsy Lane and Pikeville and Prestonburg and those areas. So it's an area we're well well known to us. And while we're on the western side of Kentucky, still building from the tornadoes in Mayfield, uh, God has opened the door for us to go and show the people in eastern Kentucky uh, some love and compassion as well. Uh, also, so Luther, Tanya, help. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to say many of the clinics uh, were impacted. They were flooded. They lost their equipment. So we we're shipping a trailer load of uh, medical supplies uh, where they've set up in Whitesburg a make makeshift clinic uh, with uh, many things that they're needing to just be able to help treat the residents there. So how can our listeners and viewers support the work and the ministry that uh, Samaritan's Purse is doing there on the ground? Well, number one, pray. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit and God to just uh, comfort these families uh, during this time that the local churches would stand up and uh, show that love and compassion as they go out and minister to these families. And um, also, if you want to get involved, we need volunteers that are willing to go roll up their sleeves and help uh, these families uh, muck out the uh, personal wet belongings that they have. And let's get these homes dried out and see if we can help them on the road to recovery. And if uh, people want to donate, you can go to our website for all of this at uh, SamaritansPurse.org. Well, I don't know of an organization that does it better. There's a lot that do it and taking nothing away from them. But I've worked uh, alongside Samaritans Purse multiple times in these natural disasters. And you're you're there not only to help, but to to provide hope. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, you guys are there on the ground. And we'll be praying and uh, supporting the work of Samaritan's Purse there. Luther, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to uh, join us today. Thank you very much, Tony. God bless you, sir. All right. Uh, Luther Harrison with Samaritan's Purse. And uh, this is tragic. I'm familiar with Kentucky and that part of uh, Kentucky. A lot of poverty uh, there. And uh, as as Luther was saying, this place, many of these places were hit before. And um, so we need to be praying for those families. That's a tragic when you lose family members on something like this. It's one thing to lose your home, you've experienced that, but your family, uh, those are the things that are most precious. We need to be praying for them, standing with them, and supporting ministries like Samaritan's Purse. All right, coming up next, it does look like Nancy Pelosi will visit Taiwan. We're going to talk with General Jerry Boykin about all the messaging next. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at standcourageous.com. 
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as of uh, this evening's program, reports indicate that Speaker Pelosi um, will include a stop to Taiwan as a part of her current itinerary in Asia. Now, this comes despite stern warnings from the Chinese Communist Party that such a visit would lead to, quote, very serious developments and consequences, end quote. Is this... uh, is this saber-rattling on behalf of China? Of course, as I talked about at the top of the program, Russia also uh, making some noise toward the United States. Do they perceive weakness, and are they coordinating their efforts to push back on America? Well, join me now to talk about this and more is Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, retired after 36 and a half years in the United States Army, founding member of the elite Delta Force, and he's the executive vice president of the Family Research Council. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm glad to be with you. All right. Before we uh, get into Taiwan and Russia, I just got this uh, notification. The president will be speaking tonight uh, following what the White House says was a successful counterterrorism operation uh, on an al-Qaeda target in Afghanistan over the weekend. Have you uh, heard anything about that? Well, I've heard only uh, about what you have, uh, but it appears that it's uh, Alman al-Zawahiri, who is the head of al-Qaeda. He is the one that uh, was the number two man until bin Laden was killed, and then he stepped in and, and took over the leadership of al-Qaeda. So this is big. If they killed uh, Zawahiri, this is a big deal, and the president and his administration and the DOD and CIA deserve a lot of credit here. So is this, uh, is, cu- is this cutting the head off the snake? I mean, what will be the impact upon uh, al-Qaeda? No, the theology lives on. You can't, you can't kill one man and, and shut down a terror network like this. Uh, there's, a, there's a theology here that is uh, subscribed to by millions of Muslims around the world. It's a jihadist theology, and, uh, and the propaganda that... Uh, the network has espoused for uh, probably almost two decades now um, is one that has uh, taken roots throughout the Islamic world. And there are a lot of people who uh, subscribe to that. So you can't stop that just by killing one man that considers himself to be the leader. But you set it back in terms of operationally. 
No question you set it back. No question you demoralized them. But it didn't stop them when we killed bin Laden, and it's not going to stop us from killing Zawahiri. But it is going to have an impact on them, certainly in the short term. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens now. Will they combine forces with ISIS, or will they choose a new leader from within the ranks of al-Qaeda, or or what will they do now? It's going to be an interesting thing to watch. So what does this say about the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan? I mean, was that the um, our, our catastrophic withdrawal? Is that what, you know, uh, it, does this in any way make up for that? Uh, no. Oh, no, definitely not. That stands on its own. What we did and failed to do in Afghanistan is a standalone issue. And I think that it, is, it will go down in history as being one of the most uh, uh, poorly run uh, operations that our military has ever been in and in uh, and, and our State Department as well. That, that, was, that was a really uh, bad thing that we did there when we left people behind. There's an ethos here. There's a, there's a morality here associated with this. And we left people behind in Afghanistan that we had told we would bring out. So aside from the fact that we lost 13 people, that we did a terrible job, we left people behind. We breached a longstanding code of ethics for American military and American government as far as I am concerned. So with this successful uh, attack on the head of al-Qaeda, this, I mean, does this bolster our military and the standing of this administration internationally? I mean, when we're looking at this, um, you know, pushback from China with this reported visit of Speaker Pelosi to Taiwan and then Russia, you know, President Putin pounding his chest over there yesterday. I mean, I I think my take is they perceive weakness, and I think they're coordinating their efforts uh, to try to back the U.S. into a corner. That's my take, but I want to know what yours is. Well, first of all, there is no question, and and it's, it's not just you and I that are saying this. There's no question. They see weakness. I mean, what have we done? It's not just the way we came out of Afghanistan. It's the fact that we... We, we canceled our own pipeline and then turned around and, and asked the Russians to pump more through, the, through theirs. We lifted the sanctions on it. We asked the Russians to intervene uh, and be our interlocutor for uh, negotiations and a new JCPOA with Iran. We, we have done so many foolish things to include they watch what's happening to our military. They watch how we're kicking people out of the military because they won't take vaccination. They're watching how we are not focusing on military readiness to win wars. We're focusing on being woke, and they are laughing at us, but more importantly, they see our weakness. I do not believe that if Joe Biden keeps on talking about escalation in, in, in the Ukraine as well as in the Taiwan situation, I don't think there's going to be a good outcome of that because we're not the ones that are escalating. The, the, the Chinese and the Russians can de-escalate these situations in a, in, in a moment's notice. But Biden keeps talking about he doesn't want to do certain things because they're provocative or because they are escalatory. Well, why don't we do what's right by our own people as well as our allies and the rest of the world and, uh, and and put them on the, the the side where they have to start thinking about how to de-escalate the situation. So in your view, should Nancy Pelosi go forward with her visit to uh, Taiwan? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. And that that's an easy one. And, it, and it's not just, I'll tell you what I'm worried about, Tony, and what really concerns me about this is who leaked it? That is a bigger issue as far as I'm concerned. Who leaked it? Because when you look what was leaked out of the Supreme Court over the the Dobbs case there, and now you see this being leaked, who's leaking it? Now, there's speculation that came out of the White House because they want to put pressure on her to uh, not to go. I don't know whether that's true or not, but what I do know is that's a national security issue. 
that she's a speaker right. of the house. She's the third one in line for the presidency. And, and we had a leak that, uh, uh, if, if the Chinese really wanted to do something bad, uh, they could take her airplane down or do something like that or interdict her at any point on this trip. And I think that uh, we ought to be focusing very heavily now on not whether she's going or not. I hope she goes and she should go. But who leaked this and what was the purpose behind this leak? And they need to be held accountable. Nobody's been held accountable uh, for what was leaked out of the Supreme Court. Yeah. If there, if the Chinese take any action to try to block her flight or intercept her in some way, should the U.S. respond? Well, I think they should. I think the U.S. absolutely should. I, in fact, if we know what plane she's going down there with, we ought to fly escort. We ought to have escorts on the wings of, uh, of the plane that takes her in there and, uh, and make no, no doubt about it that we have the resolve. We've got to show strength. We've got to show something. Yeah. I think this taking out uh, Alman al-Zawahiri is a really good thing. And, yes, I think it's going to give the president a little boost. But there's nothing he could do at this point that I think that would put him back in the, uh, you know, above abysmal in terms of his ratings. But I do think that uh, we've got to show a lot more resolve than we have. We've got to show a lot more strength, courage. And that's what the Russians and the Chinese are seeing in us. Look, I, I, I don't want to keep going back to this, but I don't think you see this if the last president was still in office because he took a much more affirmative stance towards the Chinese as well as the Russians, and he he made it very clear that he they were going to provoke us to do things that uh, were going to be catastrophic for them, and uh, and and now we're worried about whether we're escalating or whether uh, we're provoking, and I think that's nonsense. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with you. We need to be we need to show strength, show resolve. Because, you know, I think they're picking on us. I mean, you know, well, I shouldn't say picking on us. They're taking advantage of us. But you, you, you think of, of of muggers and thugs, they pick on weaklings. They don't pick on people who are holding themselves well and able to defend themselves. And, and unfortunately, I think that is what this administration is communicating. Now, I want to go to Russia because yesterday was Navy Day in Russia, and President Vladimir Putin signed a new naval doctrine that cast the United States as Russia's main rival. Now, what does that say about Russia's ambitions and their strategic aims? Well, first of all, there's nothing new about that. I mean, we lived through 40 years of the Cold War where we each knew that we were the main opponent for the other. So there's nothing new about this. But uh, look, I, I think that what you're seeing here with both Vladimir Putin and President Xi is you're, you're seeing a couple of... Uh, men that uh, have some clearly political ambitions beyond uh, what's obvious. And I think that uh, I think that she is, in fact, hoping to be reelected in this uh, five year meeting that's coming up in October, November. And and Putin is just trying to stay in office. He's just trying to hold on. And uh, and I think that they are uh, they are poking fun at us. They are using us for their own political purposes, and we're playing right into their hands. We're not doing anything to push back on that. And it is time, again, for not only our rhetoric but our actions to show a a real resolve that we're not going to do this. We're not going to put up with this. And, look, we've got people being held in Russian prisons right now, and I don't know enough about those two to know what they're guilty of. But I can tell you, if if you go back to when the president sent you over to Turkey to to get Andrew Brunson, who had a missionary that had been held there for two years, that showed resolve not just to the Turks, but it showed resolve to to to, to the whole world. I mean, people were watching that, and we need to show that same level of resolve right now. But in order to show that resolve, you have to have a military that can actually back it up. I mean, yeah. you, you can't just claim you have a strong military. You have to show it. And you touched on this a few moments ago in that what our military is focuses, focused on is anything but preparing to fight and win wars. They, they have been immersed in this woke agenda, having drag queen uh, performances on military bases, 
I mean, the, 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 the it's unbelievable. And I think that when you, you when China, Russia sees this, I think they're just applauding because they know you can't win wars this way. Yeah, I think this administration uh, up front right at the beginning, they sold out to the uh, climate change uh, advocates as well as the uh, LGBT uh, people that uh, we, they just sold out to them. And, and now so much of what happens in, in, in our whole country, but especially in our military, is driven by those two agendas. And when you have four-star generals standing up saying, our greatest threat is climate change. Really? Seriously? Look at look at the world we live in and, and tell me you seriously believe that. Uh, or when they, these four stars... Let me ask you that question. Do they believe that or are they just saying it because they have to? That's it. I don't believe that a single one of them believes that climate change is the greatest threat to America. They are parroting what they have been told by the commander in chief, you know what? Now would be a good time for some of them to walk in, lay their stars on the table and say, I will no longer be part of this kind of nonsense. General, what you're saying is that our military leadership has been hollowed out because I'm, I'm speaking as a, as a former enlisted man who looked up to the officers to provide the direction and the guidance at, at the highest. You're talking about the highest levels. How can our men and women who serve in uniform on the front lines have confidence in that type of leadership? Yeah, thanks for asking that, because they don't. They can't have confidence in a chain of command that bullies them, literally bullies them, to take a vaccination that they don't want or that throws them out when, when they are unwilling to take it uh, or a chain of command that has them use their precious training time when they should be preparing for war, sitting in a classroom, listening to someone as they divide that room up and say, all of you on this side are oppressors and all of you on this side are the oppressed. It's called critical race theory. And they're doing that, and especially if you're in the National Guard or the Reserves and you only get one weekend a month to train and you spend that entire weekend doing something like that, which does nothing but destroy the cohesion of any organization. And that is, as I have said before on your program, that's the equalizer on the battlefield. Yeah, and the only way to correct that, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me if I'm wrong, is an election to have someone who understands the purpose of the military and is willing to undo this foolishness and get our military back on track. Last word from you. It's not just today. it's not just the vote for the commander in chief or the president of the United States. It, we need we need to start at the ballot box with elected representatives, House and Senate that care about our military and are willing to do the right thing with regards to our military because those right. people can do a lot. General, we got to leave it there. Always great to have you on the program. Good to see you. Folks, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 